Inside Books with Breda Brown. Welcome to Inside Books, a programme about the magical world of writing. I'm Breda Brown and I'm an avid book lover. I really love listening to authors tell their stories. So in each episode of Inside Books, we chat to well-known authors and we also update you on other news from the books world. You'll find Inside Books on SoundCloud and you can also subscribe to us on iTunes, ensuring that you never miss an episode. Our Twitter handle is at InsideBooksIRE, where you'll also find news about some great book events happening around the country. Peter Carey is an Australian author who has won the Booker Prize for Fiction not once, but twice. He first won the award in 1988 for his novel Oscar and Lucinda and again in 2001 for True History of the Kelly Gang. In fact, Peter Carey is one of only four writers to have won the Booker Prize twice. As well as his Booker-winning novels, he has also written numerous short stories, a couple of screenplays and a musical. His latest novel is called A Long Way From Home and Peter, as it happens, you are a long way from home today. You live in New York now. <laughs> home is everywhere, yes. I do live in New York. And how does New York compare to Australia, which is where you were born? <laughs> well, I don't know. It doesn't compare at all, I guess. Although, <laughs> although I did I did once work out that that my walking life in New, in New York, which is a great walking city, is almost exactly the same as my walking life in Becker's Marsh, the small town that I, that, that I grew up in. I... Just walk everywhere. Well, you walked everywhere in back of Smash, and that's what you expected in a small town. I would never have thought that you would walk the same in a big city. So the great thing about one of the great things about New York is it is a, it is a great walking city. So many kilometres a day do you do then? Oh, I've got no idea. <laughs> uh, often none. Uh, from from, from the bedroom, bedroom to, to to the office to to the dining room table. Um, but. It does, it does the job, exactly. So I suppose going back to your earlier years then in Australia, what I loved uh, when I found out was that you actually went to the same school as Prince Charles and Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. God, you were, you were among, among uh, many interesting individuals there, but they weren't there at the same time. Well, the ruling class never did quite accept me. It's amazing. <laughs> I didn't... I, I, had, I, was, I had to leave Geelong before I really realised where I'd been. But, uh, so. And you took it from there. You went on and studied science. Yeah. What led you down that path? Well, I had the sort of... Well, firstly, I didn't know. I didn't understand that I had a, absolutely no ability at all. <laughs> uh, but I sort of always imagined that the life of a scientist would be to do with discovering things. And I loved the periodic table. You know, we, mm-hmm. and, and the thing about the periodic table is that you look at it and you can sort of predict the behavior of elements from their structure on the periodic table. And I, in the end, I think I actually found what I was sort of looking for in writing novels mm. and, and short stories. But as it turned out, I was hopeless at this. I failed spectacularly and had to get a job somewhere. So I got a job in advertising where I did actually begin to get a literary education. And that was an opportunity as well for you, I suppose, to explore more your creative side then. Well, I suppose so. I wasn't even sure that I knew I had a creative side. <laughs> <laughs> you learned it then. And where did the writing come from, though, in that part of your life? Well, it, it was, as I said, I got a job in an advertising agency, which was filled with people um, who were writers or writing. And one of the people, was a man called Barry Oakley, who's an Australian writer who wasn't published then, um, who, rather than giving me share of the petrol money he used to give me his cast off review copies because he used to review books and suddenly I'm in a room with people you know who who have have read Joyce and Beckett and Faulkner and I begin to get an education uh, and they were writing and 
I thought, well, if they can do it, I can do it. Absolutely. I'm an idiot, of course, because I, I, I knew nothing. I'd read nothing. And there I am declaring I'm going to walk out onto the same field as you know, Virginia Woolf and but if you, if you you know if you don't have confidence in the product you know and if you don't have confidence <laughs> in yourself and and at that point then you you started combining the writing with working so you you cut down on the working week so you could spend more time writing yeah well at the very, from the very big the minute I decided you know I was going to write a novel uh, that's what I did every night and every weekend and so in my life in, in my idea of my life from from then at the age of about twenty I was a writer mm. uh, and the advertising. Part I wouldn't really admit to. Actually, I ended up being quite good at that, and I was able to get money from it that allowed me to to to, to work in advertising two days a week or or, or something and, and write the rest of the time. Paid for the lifestyle yeah. you wanted. Yeah. So, what sort of feedback though were you getting on your writing at that point? Oh, at the at the very at the beginning, the, the person I mentioned, Barry Oakley, the, the the writer who I used to drive to work, uh, he he was he always has had criticisms of everything that I wrote and uh, constructive. I hope. Well, yes, but ten years later, a, a time came when I started to write the stories, which later became the Fat Man in History, and he didn't have any criticisms. And then he became the person who sent sent my stories to other people. So he he, he enraged me by by things saying things like it doesn't work <laughs> so that, at the beginning, but he was also a great supporter later on. It enraged you, but it did it encourage you. Well, he didn't discourage me. <laughs> so why then? You had tried your hand at novel writing, and as you said, that it, it did change with your short story collection, The Fat Man in History. So why did you go down the short story route at that point? I was exhausted. I'd written, I don't know, however I want to count, three or four novels that by the time I got to a year, end of a year or two years, I realised didn't work. And, and I saw that that was in them from the very beginning. I'd been... I'd been in, uh, I lived in London for a number of years. I got back to Australia and I just thought, I can't. So I started to write short stories like you would build, if you've been trying to build palaces, and now you think, well, I'll just build a little shed. You know, and if and it, see how it goes. And see how it goes. And if it, and if it falls down, it doesn't matter. Hmm. And I, by then I was older enough, I'd read enough, I'd lived a little bit more. And for the first time in my life, my writing started to work. So after so much rejection then, I suppose, um, how did it feel then to finally be published? Um, it felt great, but, you know, like oh, even it happens so sort of slowly. Someone says, we want to publish this. But by the time it, by the time you're getting published, well, you got used to that idea for a little while. Mm. But I do remember the thrill because I remember what I, I thought, if I could only get a book published, that will do. One book, I'll die happy. Mm-hmm. And then the book comes along, it gets reviewed. But it, I didn't, didn't think it might get reviewed. Yeah. And, the, and I got a rave. The first review was in the Australian, uh, written by an Australian poet called Robert Adamson. And I could. Uh, normally I can only remember my bad reviews, <laughs> yeah. but I can remember this one. Uh, uh, word uh, for word? I can remember enough of it to, <laughs> to, to embarrass us both. And, but that obviously encouraged you again, as I said, and probably gave you more confidence in your own ability. <sighs> or did you already have enough confidence? Well, I, th- I think the sort of normal mix is sort of, you know, outrageous confidence and sort of groveling need <laughs> and, and, and doubt. Uh, and I think they both sort of seem to go together. But it worked because obviously you went on and you won the Booker Prize in 1988 for Oscar and Lucinda. Mm. I mean, did you have any idea that was going to happen? Well, I'd been shortlisted for Illiwack before, so I knew it was possible. When I... Up until the time I got shortlisted for Illiwaka, uh, no, hadn't. It seemed unreal. I remember Tom Keneally won the Booker Prize for Schindler's 
arc and how thrilled I was as an Australian, seeing an Australian writer win the Booker Prize. I remember my emotions, seeing him there in his dinner suit on television. It did not occur to me that I might quite soon after that be up for the Booker Prize. So what were your emotions then? Uh, terror. <laughs> As a matter of fact, going going to the Guildhall in, in London, I was so nervous that I, I might have to speak. Uh, and the only way I could calm myself down was by imagining one of the other people won the prize. And when I imagined the other person won the prize, then I was calmer. And then, you know, Kerry Hume did win the prize and didn't make me calm at all. Right. <laughs> and when you did win then, like, how did that, how did it change your personal life, which it did, and, but how did it change your writing life? Well, the writing life, it becomes easier to get... Um, good European publishers mm-hmm. immediately. Um, you get a certain level of respect that you're not going to get normally. Mm-hmm. And so even when even when people are, are slagging you off, they still have to say Booker Prize winner. That's it. So, so it, it, it does do something to it. You know, it doesn't protect you from anything too much, but there's a certain people attend, tend to look at you a little bit more seriously. But did it end up putting pressure on you for your next writing project? I put enough pressure on myself. <laughs> I mean, the thing of sort of the, whatever it is that I'm going to do, um, it's hard enough. And to make the thing work is hard. And I'm only interested in things that I did, don't quite know how to do, that are dangerous in a way. So I don't need to think about the Booker Prize. And you can't, couldn't guess what a Booker Prize winning book might be anyway. But from your reader's perspective and even your publisher's mm. perspective, there were probably expectations from them for your next writing project. Yeah, but you see, Oscar and Lucinda, um, people, I, I had the feeling with Oscar and Lucinda, people imagined, misremembered it or misimagined it and thought it was sort of a cute sort of a book or a, they'd smile fondly and thinking about it. So the, the next book I chose to write was called The Tax Inspector, which mm. is a very, very grim, dark book. It has humour, but still, absolutely not that book. So I was sort of saying, you think I'm cute? <laughs> Here's this. So there was a sort of a contrarian response. It wasn't trying to win another prize. It was trying to say, uh, maybe you don't know who I am. And to try and show, I suppose, the, the wide element of, of your writing style. But you moved to New York as well shortly after you won the mm. Booker Prize. So was that to try and, and capitalise on opportunities that may come your way? <laughs> no. Or did you just want to move no, to New York? No, 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 no. I I, um, I fell in love with a woman who wanted to live in New York. And, oh, well, and when we were, we're now divorced, it's many years later. But the consequence, You're still there. The, the, I'm still there. <laughs> I have two American children and now I have an English wife. So... Um, no, it was there was nothing to do with. I mean, Australians, of course, immediately thought, "Ah, he's he, leaving th- us." This is a careerist <laughs> move, you know. But I was already published in New York. I already had an agent and editors and so on, and friends. Um, I didn't expect it. It's now twenty-eight years later, and I really, really didn't think that I was doing that. I went sort of rather casually. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm someone who went to boarding school and survived, you know, so I could. I could go casually in a way to the United States, change countries without thinking about mm. it a lot. But, of course, there are enormous consequences. You combined teaching and writing them while you were there. In the in, in New York? In New York, and you still do. Y- yes, well, yeah. you know, absolutely. Uh, now I, I run a uh, very small uh, program in New York. We're, we're in the fiction part of that program, we have 12 students. Mm-hmm. bringing six every year. And Colin McCann and I and, and Taya Obrecht, 
are, are the teachers. We mm. take turns teaching. It's a terrific faculty. Terrific. I, I, it's fun. Does it inspire you when it comes to your own writing? I think it might make... You have to get very good at reading other people's work and wondering what works and what doesn't work. And I think all of that mental exercise and, and, and mm. it's actually an act of empathy to, to, to teach like that. Um, I, th- I think it is very helpful, but I couldn't really break it apart and tell you how. And then just to go back then, uh, so obviously you won the Booker Prize in 1988. We'll fast forward then 13 years to 2001 and you won it again. Yes. So that was for True History of, of the Kelly Gang, which was about Ned Kelly. But but I'll tell you why it was important. Why? Because once, when I won, when I won for, for, for Oscar and Lucinda, I was sort of, I didn't want to celebrate it. I stayed in London for one day for publicity and left. Why? I don't know. It was some sort of weird puritanical sort of notion about being too pleased with yourself or, or, or something like but that. But you should have been pleased Oh, with I should yourself. have been. But that's why the second prize is so vitally important. Because as the years went on, I thought I was such an idiot. <laughs> I should have been, you know, I'll never, I'll never win this again. There was once in a lifetime opportunity. And so by sheer good fortune, I did win again. And that time... I really, I really celebrated. Okay. Good, glad to hear it because you're only one of literally a handful of writers who have won a twice. Yeah, yes, I, I never expected that it would happen. And no. then just to go back, we were talking about the pressure after winning the prize once um, on, on how it, you know, piled on the pressure on your on your writing projects, which you say it didn't really. But having won it twice, then did you feel pressure? No, no. I mean, I make my own pressure. The works themselves create enormous pressure. I'm try- always trying to do something I don't know how to do. So, the prize. Who could who could second guess that what hmm. that meant? Are you hoping to win it again a third time? No, I'm not. <laughs> because you've won other prizes as well, not just that mm. one. Obviously, you've mm. won the Miles Franklin Award three times and uh, the Commonwealth Writers Prize. You're well used to the accolades as such, you know. Um, Never enough. There, the, it's a black hole. All writers are the same. The requirement for praise. Yeah. Um, and then just to go back, I suppose, look, let's talk about, you know, how does your writing work these days? I mean, what sort of routine do you have on a day-to-day basis? Oh, it's now? very it's very boring and predictable. I mean, I go I'm at my desk by nine o'clock uh, and, I, and I work to, you know, 12 or 1 and uh, I'll probably meet someone for lunch, maybe, or I'm teaching, there'll be things to do then. And in the afternoon, I'll go through what I what I did in the morning and read, doze, um, <laughs> cook, cook dinner. That busy be- New York lifestyle, is that what you're telling yeah. me? <laughs> uh, and obviously a long way home, a long way from home is, is in shops now at the moment, but what are you working on at the moment? Well, I'd be a moron to tell you because I mean, it takes, for me always, but the minute you tell somebody, it takes the head of steam off what you're doing. And it's also quite, precarious you know because if you you think you have a terrific idea and you're really excited and you see when you tell somebody they don't share your enthusiasm mm-hmm. when i was writing true history of the kelly gang i did people occasionally tell my friends not non-friends <laughs> um and they would look really worried and puzzled and they'd say things like well why would you we know all about him and things like that so that that's it's not helpful but I don't think their view would probably impact on your decision to keep writing. Well, though. clearly it didn't. On, on it just, plot, made, yeah. just made me irritated. But, but, uh, exactly. Yeah. And where, you know, do you ever get, you seem sort of, I suppose, you know, creative in that sense, but do you ever get writer's block? No, I don't. Um, but I, because I always think you can write your, if you, when you're stuck, you can always write your way out of it. So the, for me, the most important thing is to sit there at the computer. And sometimes... 
uh, having been stuck, I'll have conversations with myself. Mm. You know, I'll, I'll write them down and I'll say, you know, what's this book about? And then I'll tell myself what it's about, you know, in, in, in a you know, hundred or two hundred words. And then I'll say something like, well, could someone, is this, could someone write a book about that? And then I'll answer myself, yes. And so then I'll tell myself, well, maybe you better do it. And, and it refocuses you. Well, it just means don't be depressed. You know, there's a, there's a really good idea here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, there is an idea for a book. It could it can be done. So if it can be done, you're already well into it. Go back and make it work. And do you hang out with other writers? Uh, as little as possible. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> why is that? Oh well, I don't know. I love. I, I I mean. Yes, yeah. There are some. I mean, and among my, you know, our dearest friends, say Deborah Eisenberg and Wallace Shawn. Now, Wally, do you know he's a, he's a, actually you will know him because he's a great character actor, mm-hmm. but he's also one of America's greatest playwrights. And uh, so, yes, I, I, I yes I do hang out among among our close friends. There More are a lot, lot of, a lot of writers. Yes. More for fun than for advice, though. Oh, never for advice, yes. (laughs) So on that then, do you have any advice for aspiring writers? There are enough already. Keep away. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Or what about those who've won prizes and awards but then have sort of struggled to replicate that success afterwards? What would I say to them? Yeah. Well, you don't have to knock yourself out working all your life. Why don't you take a break? Mm -hmm. Leave the rest of us. To, we to, don't, we, uh, take we, the awards. We don't need your book in the bookshop. <laughs> leave some room. Leave some room for our book. Leave some room for everybody else. And what about reviews? Book reviews? Do you read them? I'm not meant to. Um, the general. You're thing not is, meant to, or you don't want to. It's more complicated. My my my, my wife Frances Cody was a publisher for many many years. Actually, is now a literary agent, but she's quite experienced in this sort of thing. So she said, "Don't do this to yourself. I will read them first, and I will tell you." whether you should read them or not. And if they're going to upset you, I don't want you to be upset. So I said, fine, that's very nice, darling. And then, of course, you know, when the reviews are coming out, in the old days, they, you had to get the newspaper. But now, if you're lying in bed with your iPhone beside you, you know, the review will probably be posted about four in the morning. Mm-hmm. And, and at four in the morning, my wife's generally asleep. <laughs> and she doesn't know that I'm actually look, reading. That you're looking. I skim them, really, to see, see if I, I will need her later when she wakes up to read them for me. <laughs> And that that works for you. Very well. Absolutely. So, and just then coming back to to the book that's uh, on the shelves at the moment, A Long Way From Home, The Guardian newspaper, speaking of reviews, uh, called it your best novel in years, maybe decades. Yeah, I didn't know whether to be thrilled or totally (laughs) insulted, but I'm taking it pragmatically. It's good. People tend to be buying the book. So I think that that probably works. But there's a little part of me that's going, come on, you guys, you know, decades. What are you talking about? Um... You gave me some good reviews in the past, but no, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled when people are enthusiastic about the book. And I do think this book seems to be one that um, is generally liked. So how could I be unhappy with that? And do you think, though, it could be a third Booker winner for well, you? No, I don't think so. I think, I think I've think i won enough Booker Prizes <laughs> for everybody. Oh, I don't know. Now, let's let's wait and see. Peter Carey, double Booker Prize winner. Thank you so much for joining us here on Inside Books. And you'll find Peter's latest novel, A Long Way From Home, in your local bookshop now. Thanks very much. The next episode of Inside Books will be out soon. Just keep an eye on our Twitter feed for details. The handle is at Inside Books IRE. If you want to hear other episodes, just search for Inside Books on SoundCloud or subscribe to us on iTunes. I'm Brita Brown. Until next time, keep reading. Inside Books is a unique media production 